Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Ecosystem with Steve Stackler. Quite clearly, beacons are the solution for accurate detection of location. It's just the case, and, and, we are, and beyond that, we are going to provide the infrastructure to facilitate this becoming a reality for app publishers of the smallest to the largest type. I think Google's trying to shift the paradigm and provide the cloud infrastructure in order to facilitate this, along with some, some individuals and third parties who have started to do this, which is one beacon, many apps, as a theme, as a paradigm shift in what beacons uh, and the beacon ecosystem, how that is evolving. The, the oversimplification was, okay, there's some beacon hardware companies out there, buy those beacons, tell my agency we're going to use beacons, and uh, there we go, we've got, we've got some customer experience magic. Welcome to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beaker System. My name is Steve Statler for Statler Consulting. We're doing this in partnership with Proxbook, and this week we are communicating with Toronto. So uh, I'm in San Diego. John Coons, the CEO of Rover, is joining me from Toronto. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. Good to be here. Toronto is quite the hotbed of companies in the Beco system. I was just checking out Proxbook before the interview and I saw like there's over a dozen companies and you've got uh, Asif with the LBMA and Rob Thompson with uh, Dot3 and yourselves and Isle Labs and so forth. So what is it yeah. about Toronto that is causing all this uh, innovation in the converged space? There's many factors. There's two that sort of stand out to me. I think one, just in general, as a sort of startup tech hub, Toronto seems to be growing rather quickly. And, and you're seeing a lot of companies emerge in this ecosystem. And Toronto's kind of coming into its own as a center for, for startups in North America. I think also technology in terms of beacon companies, location companies, there's some pretty good universities nearby, engineering schools specifically. So you've got Waterloo and the University of Toronto, where, yeah, really good talent, lots of good engineering talent. And for those that don't uh, 
move to Mountain View or, or the area, they, uh, I, I think they tend to stay here and, and build technology businesses here in Toronto. So that, that talent probably done a lot to kind of help that. It's a great city. A lot of the benefits of America, but you can get a decent cup of tea as well. And a lot of Saturday Night Live comedians, it seems, come from that area too. So yeah. you've got lots going for you. Yeah, I just make sure you come in the summer. <laughs> okay. Tell us a bit about Rover. What do you do? Rover is a location-first mobile engagement platform. This really means we're looking at mobile engagement and mobile messaging with a location-first lens up and down the stack. Everything from how we communicate to the events that might trigger a message for a user to the ways in which we capture and interpret data. And we seek to be that sort of central platform for publishers to manage and create location based experiences, everything from managing your beacon or location geofence infrastructure, all the way through to creating location-based content and segmentation and analytics to support that strategy. And, and consistent with the language of the book and, and my chapter specifically, it's really an orchestration layer. So when you look at the, the Beco system or the, or the stack that exists around location, you know, many component parts, uh, hardware and analytics and content, etc. And so we really seek to be that sort of central orchestration piece that helps a marketer, helps an app publisher centralize or, or have one sort of view into what they can do with location and, and mobile engagement. So we should do the full disclosure bit. And uh, so I am on your, your advisory board and you did contribute a chapter to, to our book that's coming out hopefully in just a few days, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beaker System. And as you say, your chapter was about orchestration, which is a term that we made up. Uh, I think some other people are starting to use it, which is very gratifying. But you know, what, what, what is orchestration and why do you need it? Yeah, um, I think you're being humble by saying we. I think I said it in 20 words and you reduced it to the one. So <laughs> hats off to you for, for coining that phrase because I think it's a good one. Certainly uh, around other technologies, there exists multiple component parts and, and multiple aspects of uh, an ecosystem that emerge around a technology. But I think when we look at beacons and location, there's a lot of potential nuggets of value for, for customers and, and depending on the way in which they look at beacons, for some it's very much about advertising and capturing data and for others it might be purely around visit analytics and for others it might be very much centered around a content game or an opportunity to brand or monetize their app through branded experiences. And so when you look at the many components of uh, how one might execute on a, on a beacon deployment and in turn campaign, you've got a lot of a lot going on, right? And so I think when we look at or when we talk about the orchestration layer, it's providing visibility to all these component parts and have them speak to each other in a manner that the left arm knows what the right arm's doing, and so that you have this sort of cohesive strategy when you when you look to do a, a beacon deployment. The reality is, and we see this with many of our customers, is you will have a, a BI analytics person looking at the data, and you'll have a, a creative or a designer working in the in our case the Rover platform to create content, and then somebody more on the operational side will be looking at importing UUIDs and setting up lat longs for geofences, and so those are different roles and different personas, uh, and I think it's important that there's that visibility across the board where that's centralized into what you, you so eloquently coined a, as an orchestration layer. Well, our family went up to LA this last weekend and we were watching the San Diego Youth Symphony Orchestra perform at the Disney Concert Hall. 
Yes. And it was just an amazing experience. But they were like vast, just a massive group of musicians. And this conductor did an amazing job of pulling it all together. And I was just sort of thinking, if you didn't have that conductor of the orchestra, this could be absolute chaos. And to me, orchestrations about taking what could be chaotic and coordinating it so there's actually purpose and a great experience that delights people uh, rather than this kind of fragmented thing. And so that was kind of, it just really brought that metaphor that we originally discussed really came home to me when this beautiful music came out of what could have been a, a cacophony. Absolutely. So if we were to kind of just really dumb it down and if, if you're, you've got your shopping list for an orchestration layer, you've decided beacons aren't enough and yeah, I want an app, but there's something in the middle. What is it that's going to be on my shopping list if I'm shopping for a product that's in your category? It really starts from how am I looking at, if we're looking specifically at beacons, how am I looking at hardware? What vendor or vendors am I working with? So am I, am I looking to be exclusive with one beacon provider or am I potentially looking to tap into beacon networks or have different hardware as part of the network that I'm going to leverage? If that is the case, I need to make sure that vendor that I choose to go with is able to speak to these different platforms or access these different networks. So you have this sort of foundational infrastructure piece, right, around managing your locations, managing beacons, and being able to make sense of that um, and access that in a manner that, it, that is actionable. Further up the chain, you, you can start to look at content. Is the type of content I'm looking to deliver almost static or fixed in nature? Or am I looking to be very iterative and maybe change my beacon-based experiences on a week-over-week or month-over-month basis? So is the partner or the vendor I choose to sort of help me orchestrate one who is taking a more custom or bespoke maybe agency approach to to building a a solution? Or am I looking for more of that sort of platform that allows me to to iterate? And, And obviously that's another one. Um, I think another one is, is really looking at, at analytics and data. I think as you, you know and, and certainly you've had on the, on the video um, podcast here, the, the, there's a lot of different data sets and different ways in which we can interpret location data. And so making sure that, that I think that vendor or partner has, I guess, the, the experience and the visibility in their product to understand how do we interpret location data? How do we action on it in a manner that's value-add for customers? And, and there's a lot there. So I think looking at, at that side as well. Another one I would call out is, and is key is integrations, right? So looking at, we very much recognize, and despite drinking the Kool-Aid of being deeply immersed in the Beacon space, obviously Beacon and, and proximity-based engagement on mobile is one spoke or piece of a, a greater marketing wheel, so to speak. You need to make sure that, that that vendor or partner is looking to that as a spoke in a greater wheel. So what sort of integrations are set up such that I can feed this new hose of location data to my existing CRM or perhaps integrate with my existing you know, CMS uh, as it relates to content and the like? Uh, how, how, are, how are integrations structured and, and built in, in, in a vendor? Those are some ones that sort of come to mind that we kind of went through in, in the chapter, I believe. Let's talk about some of the boundaries of that. So it's a, it's a hub, it's an abstraction layer from the beacons. Sounds like there's elements of content management, campaign management, kind of just making sure that you're not getting lots and lots of random signals from beacons, that you're kind of filtering and selecting what you're going to act on, some personalization. So there's a lot of components. How do you, as the CEO of a company in this space with 
the endless feature list, how do you decide what it is you're going to do and what it is that you're not going to do and you're going to look to other companies. So if I think about analytics, for instance, you have analytics in your product, but there's some huge Goliaths yeah. in this marketplace that are doing analytics. Where do you start and where do you stop on something like that? I'll start with two broader product development things that we draw inspiration from. First is being diligent as a certainly as a startup or building a product that the features that you built are are something that customers are willing to pay for and and aren't just sort of frivolous sort of on the fringe type uh, use cases. So that really focusing on doing things that matter and will be used and looking at the data to say these are the features, these are the things in the product that customers are using. These other things we thought were cool or just that, they're academic or they're cool, they're not being used, perhaps. I think that's, you know, one aspect. And I think going to the question of what you're going to do and how you make those decisions, you really have to look at the DNA of your team. What's the strength? And we know that what our strength is and, the, and, and, and what our team really excels at. And we are not an ad tech company. That is not our background, nor is it our core competency. And so we're not trying to build a player in the ad tech space. There are certainly ways in which we can interface with those who are, but we have a, a skill set that we make sure is reflected in our product and so we can stay focused there. And focus really means knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know and focusing on that. So we aren't, as you know, we're, we're hardware agnostic. We aren't a beacon hardware company. We're not trying to do it all from sort of start to finish. We feel that the, the ecosystem, the Beco system, poses a significant number of challenges that a number of vendors are required to solve for what's going on in the stack. And to think that you can certainly at this point do it all is almost sort of diluting your value um, in that you kind of have to focus to some degree here. You raised a good point on that on the analytics side. I think location analytics, as I alluded to earlier, presents a whole new source of <laughs> challenges and it's quite a sizable problem. So our, the analytics we provide is not to say this is where analytics starts and stops. It's these are the things that we know that you need to see. And specifically, because we're really centered around location-based experiences and great content that drives user engagement, we want to make sure that the analytics supports that. Whereas you might think uh, proximity analytics being very focused around dwell time and attribution and, and from this beacon to this beacon and then customer purchased this, ours is more focused on what experiences did I create using Rover? What content did I deliver using Rover? And what was engaging? What's the click-throughs? What's the view rates? What was sticky as it related to the user experiences I created? That's kind of where we tend to focus. And the point being, to go beyond that, because it's very important to do, we offer integrations and, and make sure that we've structured the product in a manner where you can export that data very easily import it to a, a BI solution or analytics tool that you're using. Because our approach to being end-to-end -end with customers is not to be end-to-end -end through doing it all, but to be end-to-end -end through the right integrations and the right partnerships with those who are focused on the piece of the Beco system that is their skill set or their, their focus. Can you give us some quick examples of what those integrations are that you've done? On the proximity analytics side, DataSnap is a company that we've done some things with. They are focused on proximity analytics, and so that's their focus. Uh, that's an example of that. You can look at Google Analytics is another thing, right? Exporting data to there. Being able to, to import any location data into an existing analytics tool in a raw format, I mean, that stuff's important. On the integration side, the hardware company. So we offer integrations with Gimbal, with Estimo, 
with contacts. So if you enter your API key for the hardware provider you're working with, you're going to pull in all your infrastructure, all that's in your cloud, so your gimbal places or your estimate beacons, into the rover cloud, full visibility to them. Everything they expose with their API, you can now see. And the important point there is they do a great job, those companies, of building great hardware and, and that some of the pieces that are required to manage and secure that infrastructure. We're not trying to do that. We're just saying, let's connect with those. Let's integrate with those to give you visibility to them. Got it. I love the fact that you're integrating with Google Analytics, a tool that's synonymous with web analytics. And now we're taking web, web analytics and we're applying it to, to the real world uh, footstream as opposed to clickstream. Can I challenge you to open the kimono a little bit if that's not inappropriate? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, can you give us an example of something, a feature that you had that you were convinced people were going to love and was really going to be fantastic? And then, you know, what, what are some of the new features that you put in that maybe you didn't initially think people were, you weren't aware that people were going to really value? It's more of a broad response, and, and it's, you know, but it, it's definitely the case. And that is, as technologists and excited nerds, if you will, in this space, we, we can very, get very caught up and excited about potential use cases and features. And I think the reality is, as is the case with most products, and certainly as is the case with products in a very new space, there's the whole just keep it simple. Um, you can very much overcomplicate these things. And so, say early on in the first version of the platform, you could add a whole host of different media types and barcodes and creating your content and just a lot of different options as it relates to the type of content you would deliver. And I think 90% of the use cases are, are far more simple than that. People aren't looking to do these elaborate, this type of content widget on top of this with a call to action. It's just, I think it's reflective of in part a new market and just that you don't need to overcomplicate things. Wait until everyone's banging on the door before you add that feature and, and keep it simple. Because I think one of the things that I, I, we've talked about over the, the last few years of being in this space, you and I have talked about this a lot, is you have to get something out there. I remember back in the day as a kid fishing with my dad, I was like, you're not going to catch anything if your line's not in the water. And you can't overcomplicate. Get in market, get uh, try use cases, start to see what's working, keep it simple, and iterate on that. And so keeping things simple is certainly something that, that's important to look at. And what about the, the future? I know you've got a new release coming out, and if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. Yeah. Any, any hints you want to give in terms of where you're taking the product? Yeah, very excited about the, the new product, which is launching in the next week or so. Mostly, it's the product of two and a half years of, of learning and being in the trenches with this stuff and all the pitfalls and all the, the things that we've talked about and addressing those. What we tried to do, really, with the new product was to really simplify the user experience and take the complexity out of working with beacons. It can very quickly become a bit finicky and more complex than it needed. So we really sought to address usability, from our customer side. And I can explain a little bit how we did that, but also looking to scale as well. So as we move increasingly into larger deployments, there are logistical challenges associated with 5,000 locations and perhaps hundreds of thousands of beacons. So how do we look at scale while keep, keeping that usability angle as well? What we did, and it, it helps to look at uh, visuals to, to articulate this, but we really broke out the aspects of the, of, of the ecosystem, the component parts of the orchestration layer, into standalone web apps, essentially. So when you log into the Rover dashboard, 
you have a dedicated web application that serves a component of the, of the orchestration layer. So just I'll touch on two. One of these apps uh, in the Rover dashboard is called the Proximity app. And what it serves to do is provide a central contained location for me, for, for our customers to manage and have visibility to all their, their location infrastructure, to their geofences, to their beacons. Again, if they're using multiple beacons, hardware providers, they can pull in those beacons there through the integration and start to assign tags to where beacons are. So if I have beacons that are set at the entrance of my store, I'm going to tag them entrance so that later on when I go to action on them as a marketer, it's not UUID this or beacon number one, two, three. It's send a message, this message to all beacons, tagged entrance, located using geofences in the West Coast. Again, assigning language of the marketer to this infrastructure layer. So that's the proximity app focused on managing locations and beacons at scale. There are some others, one being the messages app, which is dedicated to creating the content, right? Going through the rules and logic of what message do I send at what time and to what audience. Focusing contained a web-based environment to focus on that. So the usability was really addressed by simplifying by breaking out uh, functions into these, these standalone apps. So I think you were at Google I.O., um, so we'll, we'll talk about that a little yep. bit later. But you mentioned a couple of things that kind of intrigued me. One was this tagging concept, uh, yep. attaching metadata to beacons. And the other one was the management dashboard. And both of those things, it looks like Google are starting to do in their Eddystone platform. And what's, what's your view of that? And uh, is there, do you see the overlap? And are you seeing... What do you see people's willingness and desire is to use the Google tools versus tools from a company such as your own? So many places to go with this. In short, we're very excited with what Google's doing. I think they address a lot of challenges that have existed in the, in the Beacon ecosystem for the last two years as we've looked to see scale, etc. Some of the hurdles have been addressed there, and, and it's certainly warrants some discussion. I think if I was to separate where Google might start or stop and where Rover exists, among many things, Google has provided cloud infrastructure and I would say more developer-centric tools to leverage and take what you can do with Beacons farther to tap into Beacon Networks and a number of the things which we can speak to. The Rover customer is a marketer. And so when we look at tagging and these sorts of concepts, it's really about tagging that infrastructure which is, will and should exist in the Google Cloud but tagging it with marketer language so that I can tie content to it that way. It's more about determining segmentation rules and marketer speak and less about the infrastructure piece. And so we can dig into that in a, in a bit more, more deep of a way. But we've been working closely with Google on this over the last few months. And you know, I'm very excited about the direction they, they've gone here. I think we talked about this before we jumped on the call that there were, have been some challenges that are very much close to being met or being met with some of the announcements at I.O. But do you expect people to use the Eddystone dashboard or your dashboard? I think that there will always be cases. I mean, there's just as, as we, you, you know, you alluded to multiple vendors and different vendors being focused on different things. There's also diff so many different use cases for what can happen with beacons. The vendor, the, the mom and pop shop, SMB pizza store who wants to do a physical web or Eddystone beacon with a discoverable URL that takes them to their menu 
is not the same as a large retailer who's dealing with a thousand locations and is looking to do far more robust user experiences, is not the same as an NBA team or an NHL hockey team who's looking to deliver an in-stadium experience. I view it as quite confidently that there's a whole host of different use cases and requirements here different audiences and different customer types. And that's a good thing, right? The fact that an SMB, a pizza owner, and the largest retailers in the world can all engage with Beacons now and do so in a, in a, in a manner that's accessible, whether it be through Rover or through Google or through a mix, that's what's exciting when we look at the space and the prospects going forward. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Are you, uh, and I'm not Google bashing here because I love what they're doing. I think it's very positive. But I think there is an issue with people's trust of Google and giving their metadata to Google. And it's like almost you have to do that if you're going to, certainly you're going to use Edgestone EID and UID, their equivalent of iBeacon and a secure iBeacon, which, of course, Apple have failed to deliver. We're all looking at the uh, yeah, Apple watch, Developer yeah, Conference. Nothing, nothing absolutely there. nothing. Yeah. So, but, but going back to Google, do people trust Google with sensitive metadata about their business? There's many different ways to engage with Google as it relates to beacons, but I think when we look at the, the proximity API and what they're doing there, the only data that Google is really requiring you to, to provide is the lat long of a beacon, the associated Google Place ID, which is their database of places, the floor level to solve for mall scenarios, and the stability of that beacon. So is it a static or a moving beacon? And I think that level of data is fair. I mean, you're indexing the physical world. These are fair things to capture. I, as a app publisher or retailer or brand, can choose to add metadata or attachments to these beacons. And that's where, yes, you get into some sensitivity. I think this is where, going back to your previous question, explain where Rover fits in. So Rover actually serves as a layer to interface with that. And we would essentially, the only attachment we would provide is a Rover unique identifier that's meaningful to Rover only, but it connects that beacon infrastructure to your private Rover-based content or data. Meaning, the metadata, the segmentation, the rules, the sort of more proprietary information is housed in your account, in your, in your Rover dashboard. And the attachment or meta that we assign to the proximity API is really just a unique identifier for Rover to associate that beacon with what is held privately by our customers. So, so the venue gets to control the most detailed parts of the metadata within your platform, which they control entirely, uh, but they... Correct. 
the reality is they're going to have to share some stuff with Google because they want Google Maps to work well with their, their beacons. They want a good experience from the operating system. So it seems yeah. like there's a lot of different ways to go. But if you use the right tools, then you can balance out this, this delicate balance between sharing your data with this massive advertising company that also owns the operating system in most phones and controlling your data and... Uh, and knowing who's seeing what and not giving away value that you're not necessarily being paid for. Correct, yeah. To, to sort of switch gears to the, the positive spin of all yeah, this. Yeah, let's, let's, let's move it. on to the positive thing. Yeah. What did you get out of Google I.O.? So, you know what, I think uh, I'll, I'll simplify and then perhaps get into some depth. I think first and foremost, what's exciting for all of us is that I think when I, I looked at, kind of tallied up the sessions, it seemed as though over 20% of the content, almost a quarter of the content, was centered around beacons and location and context. And so it says a lot about how you've got the two most dominant platforms. Yes, we're waiting for more from WWDC, but you've got two dominant platforms essentially saying this stuff matters. And yes, there is GPS and other macro location technology, but quite clearly, quite clearly, beacons are the solution for accurate detection of location. It's just the case. And beyond that, we are going to provide the infrastructure to facilitate this becoming a reality for app publishers of the smallest to the largest type. So I think that's high level thematically quite inspiring and exciting. Um, I think a number of issues have been addressed. I'll highlight them, sort of bullet them out. One of the, the, the sort of three or four problems we hear all the time, I'm sure you hear in this space are I need to have an app. Do I have to have an app? Is there a way around that? My users need to have Bluetooth on. How many of them have that? And then do I need to have a beacon in every store? Is there beacons out there already? This notion of one beacon, one app, big barrier. And then efficient scanning for Bluetooth signals. Especially on Android, this has been a very inefficient challenge as it relates to, to battery drain. So there, we look at those sort of four things, and arguably three out of those four were very seriously addressed um, at I.O., which is exciting. And so I guess I'd start with um, the nearby API and what that means for battery-efficient Bluetooth scanning, where, like Apple, you now are going to have operating system-level support for, for scanning and detection of Bluetooth, which is maybe a bit, bit of time coming, but is exciting and powerful. The second one that I would address, and, and this, is, this is a big one, is what has traditionally Aside for some proprietary protocols and, and some companies doing some really great things on this front, building beacon networks, the challenge has been this dominant understanding of one beacon, one app. I have an app and therefore I need a beacon to speak to it. I think Google's trying to shift the paradigm and provide the cloud infrastructure in order to facilitate this, along with some, some individuals and third parties who have started to do this, which is one beacon, many apps as a theme, as a paradigm shift in what beacons and the beacon ecosystem, how that is evolving. Providing the cloud infrastructure so I as a developer can say I have this beacon and I have the control to say this is either a private, my app only beacon, it is a private beacon that I will provide access to this designated party, or it's a public beacon for all to consume. And I think for all the down, you know, for all the criticism of, of Google and the data side, it's a, it's a move that only really the likes of, uh, of a company the size of Google can really make in a meaningful way. And the takeaway from that is the, this infrastructure, this solution to provide beacon networks or to, to accelerate beacon networks. Now I as an individual can go out and do a beacon installation 
and monetize that installation in a manner that's a lot easier than it had been in the past. So that's, a, that's another big one. With the Eddystone URL and physical web stuff, we, we obviously have seen a lot of this prior to this year's I.O., but one thing that I think takes that farther is nearby notifications and how that will play out as it relates to being able to send the appless notification. There's content here. Get my app. I think that's exciting as well. And really, those are some significant barriers that are either being solved for as we speak or are solved for already. So it's, I think you know, macro, it's really great for the ecosystem, and we're, we're certainly excited about it. Yeah, I mean, I think if there was any question about whether the beacon proximity market was going to succeed and break through, then Google I.O. answered that. This whole business about being able to discover apps through, through beacons is really exciting for venues like airports that have millions of passengers, but they struggle to get people's awareness that there's an app that could really help them get through faster and have a better experience. Now they can have a beacon there, and as long as the airport has registered their app with the, the beacon's presence, then suddenly people are aware that these great tools are there. And also they're making it easier to not have apps at all. And the, the work that Scott Jensen's been doing is, is phenomenal. Uh, yeah, I, I would just add to that. I, I think this is, you know, you hear the app versus is the app dead and, and, and all that. I think it's worth raising this point, which is there are things you can do in a native app from a user experience that are far superior to anything that you see happening near, in near term in web. And so I think the case can be made and it's another conversation altogether, but the value of native apps and what they can do. And I think, you know, the big knock on them is, oh, I have a million apps. I got to flip through them and it's very difficult and I got all these apps on my phone. I think as we see more efficiency in battery and as we see apps being contextually smarter and essentially coming to the surface when relevant and beautifully disappearing when not based on things like beacons, that whole barrier to having too many apps on my phone is very much alleviated. Yeah. And just to be clear, my attitude towards Google is not, I don't begrudge them the yeah. opportunity to monetize these beacons, although they seem to sort of treat that as almost like an embarrassment. If, if I'm a retailer and I'm looking at investing in hundreds of thousands of beacons and I say, well, should I be doing this? This is a career decision. It's going to be really embarrassing if I've got 300,000 beacons out there and no one uses them and there's no value. I then look over at Google and say, wow, here's one of the biggest companies in the world in terms of web advertising. And they are clear, they have an agenda that makes them fair and square, fully committed to making this technology work well. And I'm reassured that they have an opportunity to make a lot of money because I think they can help the rest of us do really well out of it as well. So it's a really good thing for the ecosystem. Yes, yeah. Well, maybe, uh, oh, the one last Google thing, and then we'll move on to actually what the user experiences that you're seeing and uh, apps out yeah. there and what your customers are doing. So yeah. what about physical web? So it seems yeah. like your Rover does really well helping people write apps. Is, you know, what if people don't want to write apps and they're just using the, uh, the physical web? Is that, is that a threat or, or not? I think, like I uh, sort of alluded to maybe earlier on, was that there are so many use cases, many different spaces or, or you know, rooms for different vendors and different buyers in this space. And again, the, the pizza shop owner or the bus stop in Cheyenne, Wyoming Transit and the large retailer, you know, these are such diverse and different use cases. And there is very compelling 
opportunity for physical web to solve for what beacons can be done, uh, where beacons can be leveraged. And then there are use cases that are counter to that. So I think there's 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 so much room for for this stuff and. Um, I feel extremely excited and positive of what the physical web means for beacons and having more of them out there. Yeah, to, to, to me, they are complementary. Uh, and actually, yeah. more people will be using uh, apps that leverage beacons if they can have a web experience that is like the runway to, uh, to using those things. So um, let's, let's flip over and see, you know, what are your customers doing? Who, who, who's doing what? And let's get some specifics in terms of yeah. examples. As you know, we work in the loyalty retail loyalty industry. We work in direct to retail. Um, we do some stuff in payments. We we do some stuff in 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 sports as well. One of the underlying themes that I would say seems to come out of me quite passionately in all of these use cases is that we need to. It's sort of incumbent upon us in the space and the in the beacon creations we craft that we really try and put that sort of user experience lens on first, that we look at how can we craft an end user experience that is more informed, faster, better because of beacons and because of our our knowledge of location. There's plenty of room to really get into the advertising and pure play marketing side of the content. But what I would sort of challenge all those in the space to do is to really look at driving end user value first. And the comparison, you know, we often draw and look at as a business, it's kind of part of our DNA is the web wasn't built with banner ads. It was built with great content upon which banner ads were laid. And I think when we look at content strategy as it relates to to beacons and proximity, it's let's build that audience. Let's get those opt-ins. Let's demonstrate end user value because then it becomes far easier to start to layer in some of the marketing messaging and advertising messaging that will really move the needle. But our ability to monetize and drive advertising revenue is essentially limited to the size of that audience. So let's grow the audience, and I think the, the, the dollars will fall, for, fall, fall quite quickly. And perhaps a little idealistic, but bringing it to your, to your customer or your question, the largest, the biggest success we see is with customers who are really looking at user experience first. And so uh, I'll just touch on one of them, which is, well, two of them perhaps, which is in sports. We work with NHL and NBA teams specifically. I'll have to give a hats off to the Pittsburgh Penguins who uh, won the Stanley Cup. I know you're close to San Jose. I'm not sure how much of a hockey fan you are, but uh, they, they, they took it to them, I guess, this, this round. And so the Pittsburgh Penguins as a, as a hockey club are really looking at beacons in proximity. It, through the lens of the fan experience and how can we reward and delight and surprise the fan when they enter the game, giving them a, a, a downloadable wallpaper of their, of their favorite player, giving them uh, a meet and greet of a player when maybe you geofence the away team's arena and the fan has traveled to see a game on the road and we know that so we provide a fan experience beyond that. Or what, looking at some of the loyalty integrations we do with the Penguins where they're rewarding fans who are downtown watching the game at participating bars um, who are engaging in the fan experience downtown are around the console energy center and being rewarded for that using the loyalty currency, the, the pens points loyalty currency that they employ. And so location is a very powerful way that they're really addressing the fan experience. And you know, I think that approach... There's a lot that retailers and other brands can learn from that. And I think I'll just touch on the retail world and say, you know, working with Procter & Gamble and some other CPGs, some of the more exciting stuff is really not about the coupon or the pure play sales. 
it's about that more informed customer experience. So with Procter & Gamble, we're doing in-aisle information around product reviews, product details. And I think that's really smart. I mean, we've talked about this before about the comparison with Amazon, for example, and everyone likes to sort of say that, you know, Amazon is eating brick and mortar retail as a product of price point. But I think a lot of it has to do with customer experience and how when I know that I go to Amazon, I'm presented with rich content and a lot of data that helps me make an informed, confident customer purchase decision because I can see user reviews, I can see a video of a product in action, and I'm able to sort of inform through content my purchase. And, um, you know, I think that approach, when I look at some of the CPGs to informing product purchase and that decision-making tree is a really powerful way to be UX first as it relates to content strategy with Beacons. Well, that message around experience is one that we hear consistently. I am interested, and I don't know how comfortable you feel going into this area, but I think with some of your stadium deployments, sports stadium deployments, you weren't the first vendor that they worked with. They actually worked with someone else and then they worked with you. And I don't want to rubbish sure. who went yeah. before you, but what was the experience that they were, you know, what, what persuaded them that they actually wanted to change uh, and go to, if you like, the second surgeon, you know, the first surgeon, yeah. you have your knee done and it's still giving you a jip. And so you actually then do your research properly and find out who the best surgeon is that you can work with. And so I think you ended up being the second surgeon, but I'm kind of interested. I think people would generally want to know, well, okay, so what can go wrong and what were the things that you've been helping people to recover from? I, you know what? I like that question. Uh, it's a great one because it ties into the concept of the orchestration layer and why, what the complexity is. I think I'll step back a little bit and say when Beacons launched sort of two and a half years ago, what have you, Everybody's knowledge of Beacons was the Adweek or Marketing Mag article about this minority report experience of the future in retail. And the, the oversimplification was, okay, there's some Beacon hardware companies out there. Buy those Beacons. Tell my agency we're going to use Beacons. And uh, there we go. We've got, we've got some customer experience magic, which is fair. I mean, that's sort of how things were viewed early on. I think the market has matured and, and our understanding of it has matured over the last few years where more and more customers, marketers are coming to understand that there are, as we discussed earlier, a number of moving parts and other components, whether it be the analytics or the hardware or the security or the content strategy, the messaging limits, the list goes on. There's a lot of things moving on. And so if you are not working, I think, with a vendor who is location first, recognizing the nuances and complexities of this ecosystem, there will be things that are missed. And I think that's that's kind of what happens is initially a purchase is made of beacons. Maybe they're installed. That's great. We're good to go. Then there's, okay, agency, we got these beacons, so let's do this. But you start to roll back the onion, peel back the onion, and start to look, and there's more challenges, more opportunities, but more complexities to the ecosystem. And I think where we sort of really came in and have been successful is often we aren't the first surgeon at the table. Um, our customers have actually gone through experimentation or early proof of concepts and are now recognizing that there is more to the ecosystem. And they do, they almost, although they're not necessarily saying these words yet, they're looking for that orchestration layer um, that puts together the component parts. Very good. Well, we should wrap yeah. up. Before we go, yeah. um, something I've never asked you is how did you get into this space? I was kind of doing the furtive LinkedIn review yep. uh, before interview and you're actually yeah. a political scientist, aren't you? You must be, 
I yeah. Mean, what, <laughs> this must be incredible time for you looking at what's going on here in the States with our election. And, and uh, so feel free to ignore that or comment on it. Um, yeah. How did you get into this space? Well, just on the first point, I mean, it's interesting. I, I think our mayor, you may have heard of our illustrious mayor in Toronto, who is certainly on the radar in a similar light to what's going on south of the border. So uh, that is often the topic of conversation when, when, uh, when talking politics with friends south of the border. Looking at my path, it's a longer conversation to look at the academic background and sort of where I came from there. But I, I started my career and spent a lot of time in the loyalty industry itself. And loyalty is interesting because it's sort of the intersection of data, customer experience, influencing customer behavior, retail, and other, uh, other verticals. And sort of lived in this world, which was, you know, we were working with, with large retailers and brands who were really trying to say, how, you know, how do I influence customer behavior? How do I drive brand loyalty? And in many cases, that has traditionally been plastic card that you swipe and you get points for. And there, you know, sometimes there's discounts or there's points, but incentives, you know, what tools do I have as a marketer to influence purchase behavior, lift and shift and basket size? and also return and retain a customer. In that business, I had spent a lot of time increasingly looking at the technology angle. I mean, we all know the stat of the percentage of time we spend on our mobile devices and specifically in retail environments. And we were always looking at, and I specifically was drawn to, you know, what role does mobile play in that customer journey? How can the tenants of a traditional industry in loyalty apply to the, to the digital mobile world? And we had dabbled in you know, QR codes and, and, and different technologies which sought to get at this relevant customer experience piece. But I think, you know, looking through those, all those experiences ended up being kind of clunky and just not the kind of frictionless user experience that, as marketers, we all know is so important. And, and so the path to the business was really one from that origin, looking at the technology, seeing Beacon's launch and saying, wait a minute. We, everyone else might not realize this, but we, having been in this business, realize that there is a lack of software solutions that allow the marketer to deliver on what I'm reading in this ad week story. And so we said, let's not be a hardware company. Let's not look at that aspect of the stack of the ecosystem. Let's really extend what we know about informing a better customer journey and driving brand loyalty to this technology, giving marketers a tool to sort of be in the driver's seat of crafting these type of location-powered experiences and ultimately delivering better customer journeys. So I think that is the, that is the evolution and the or origin of the business and, and sort of how we look at the, the space. All right. Well, John, thanks so much. It's been really a fascinating conversation. And thank you all, if you have been, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beco System. Thanks, Steve. John, so the question that we ask uh, all the CEOs that come through this, uh, this uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Pico system is what are the three albums that you would take to Mars if you were stuck there for a year? Well, uh, I'm gonna pro I guess I'll give three, three completely different angles. One, I feel given uh, events of late, having some David Bowie would, would probably be a good idea given the sort of... Uh, intergalactic nature of a journey like that. Um, 
I think also something Motown. Got to keep things funky. You're going to have to dance on Mars, right? You, you don't want to just be playing with space dust all day. And um, hey, you know what? Albums are great, but sometimes I'm a big fan of podcasts. So uh, I'm sure there's an everything you need to know about living on Mars podcast. And I would make sure that I'd have that. Very, very resourceful. Okay, those are the three. Your Motown, your Bowie, and your survival guide to, uh, to Mars. Yep. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.